The original EC Pod lineup is back to chat ICC event news, Pacific Cup, League 2 and more. But first, a shout out to our friends at Patreon. From as little as $2 a month, you can help the cause by becoming an EC patron. To sign up, log on to patreon.com forward slash emerging cricket. Enjoy this week's show. A warm welcome again to everyone out there listening to the Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. We had a bit of a double episode to make up for some lost time in in weeks gone by, and I'm grateful to say that we've got all three members of the uh, original EC pod. Uh, Tim, welcome back. I know you have been flat out. Good to have you and looking at your wonderful beard and face, although no one else can. Uh, how's things? It's been, uh, it's been a very busy period in the Pacific. We'll talk about the Pacific Cup in, in a moment, among other things, but uh, how's life? Pretty full on. I think you covered it well there. Lots happening as we come into the end of the year. I think it feels like we've had about three years of tournaments squished into six months. So we're preparing for the men's team to fly off to Malaysia on Monday for League 3 of the Challenge League and that has not been without its challenges. We, oh. we, I know, it's, it's, it's not even a pun if you repeat yourself, is it? But yes, getting quite warm and wet here as we come in towards summer. So always the, the dreaded C word in terms of cyclones. So um, everything has been okay at this stage. But, uh, yeah, I think you covered it pretty well with, with, with busy. But not as busy as some of us that were working on World Cups and whatnot. Daniel, how are you? Yeah, look, I got chewed up and spat out by the end of it. I uh, managed to pick up COVID at the very end or maybe in the days after the tournament. Not sure if it was the... Uh, the overzealousness at the rap party that might have got me on that one. But uh, third time battling with uh, this virus. I've got to say, I, I felt rough in a couple of patches there, but I think I'm on the on the mend and towards the, the end of it now. And, and overall, I think I'm I'm okay. And yeah, it was, it was a busy month. Uh, I had three days off in 34 days. And one of those days, I ended up punching out three articles for ICC anyway. So uh, that wasn't really a day off. Some late nights, some of them self-inflicted, maybe one or two in there. But uh, yeah, late nights, early mornings, but it's just kind of the way that the tournament life is. You get lost in it and you don't really even comprehend anything almost that happens outside of your, uh, for a lack of a, a better word right now, bubble um, of being in, in that in that tournament and, and experiencing all of it. So Look, it was, yeah, a load of fun, and we spoke to Ryan Campbell last week. Uh, he did apologise to me off-air after, uh, Tim, you'll, you'll know all about this. I, I ran into him at the SCG, and he was just in a different world while walking through the nets. I think the Dutch were late to training, and I, I'm not exactly sure what happened, but Cambo sort of walked down a net, and I don't know if I scared him, but I was kind of at the net sort of waiting for the, the Dutch practice to start. I was like, oh, hey, Cambo, how's it going? And he, and he kind of looked up and he, and he said g'day almost as if he was, I don't know, like a, a sort of deer in the headlights as if to say, you know, why is anyone here watching? But uh, no, it was good to have a good old gas bag with, with Cambo last week. And a couple of people have said it sort of around on this Twitter sphere, calling it the best EC interview ever. Incredibly candid with what he had to say about Dutch cricket being sort of out of the system now. And, and just his perspective on life in general, given everything that happened. And I suppose, you know, 
talking to him and, and the Dutch story is probably one thing that I'll definitely take away from the T20 World Cup, which was hugely enjoyable. Nick, how's Iceland? I know you've been, I suppose, geographically removed from everything going on in, in the World Cup and, and everything happening here in Australia. Was there any FOMO, any any sort of lament as, as to you being on the other side of the world while the World Cup was on? Uh, mate, especially since... The original plan was that uh, this World Cup that we're in now was supposed to happen last year in Australia. So if the original schedule had just been followed, we we could have all been there together. But uh, yeah, alas, not to be. <laughs> yeah, doing doing my best trying to follow along with uh, you know VPN and whatnot, uh, squeezing it in between work shifts, uh, watching a bit in my lunch break, all of that. But um, yeah, time zones not the best. Uh, I I totally get what you what you mean about being in that tournament bubble, though. You know, just You've got everything going on and that it's all that you think about and it's like it, it just becomes your whole world for a, a week or two and yeah it's, I, I i totally sympathize Ben, and uh hopefully you've got a few days off now end of the week fingers crossed but i've got a hot date with the dentist so uh assuming oh. that i'm covid free by then yeah yeah it's when you're in that zone i think you, you lose all concept of time you know it could be any day of the week it could be any time of day it's yeah it's, it's i kind of liken it to uh uh, I'm trying to think when uh, when Zara was born and in in intensive care and you're sort of in and out of the hospital different times of the day and you, you you're kind of in a bit of a daze. I kind of almost liken it to that where it's just like just doing things and you're operating and you're not really thinking about all the basic things like eating and sleeping at the right time and and you just go, yeah you go into a into a zone. So I hear you both. Oh, and it's happening all again next week. So uh, maybe next time we talk, I'll be in some kind of twilight zone from Malaysia. <laughs> Oh dear. Yeah, we we can talk about that in a little bit more detail, but this episode in a way we're almost catching up on the things that we haven't really had the chance to talk about over the last month or so and there's been so much emerging cricket in the last month. Well, it's been hard for us to keep up with with everything, but we're going to try and sort of tick all the boxes and and cross the Ts and dot all the Is and we'll start I suppose in your region, Tim. The Pacific Cup that, that happened, PNG definitely the, the dominant force still in, in the region. But from what we saw and, and, and from what you guys have posted, you know, on the on the VCA uh, account, it looked like a, a great tournament and, and one that, that definitely celebrated the, the cricket in the region. Um, and being in a bubble, I'm sure you would have been in, in the same, being in, in a tournament mode and, and being the board that is running the, the tournament in particular. So... I suppose removing yourself from that now, what's it like looking back and and reflecting on on the tournament and how that all played out, not only from an organisational standpoint but also uh, the cricket on the field as well. Yeah, well, speaking of twilight zones, you know, hosting two international events within the space of a month after no cricket had been played by either side for over three years, let alone hosted. Yeah, it was a well a tall order, it's a tall ask of everyone. It was just great to see everyone pull together to run both events. You know, you were there for the the men's T20 Pacific qualifier. And barring the weather on that last day, I don't think it could have run more smoothly, really. You know, there's always things you'd like to, if you had your time over again, to, to do differently. But um, I think everyone had a lot of fun at that. And I think, you know, for the Pacific Cup to start two weeks later and remembering that PNG had just come off their own World Cup qualifier coming from the UAE. So for them to come straight there, and I said as much in the speeches before and at the end of the tournament, which is really appreciative of Cricket PNG's support there because it could have been very easy for them to say how much time and effort they've just put in and, and money to have the team go to the qualifier and I think having them there was was great for the, the event this year but also as we go forward into next year it sort of sets an even firmer base I think having the let's call it the big sibling of the of the region 
there and there's going to be hopefully more exciting news to come out in the coming months about what the future of the the Pacific Cup is but for teams like Vanuatu, Samoa and and Fiji and you can almost almost kiss the the rankings goodbye where you know Samoa were at, at 15 in the world before they they fell off the rankings only a, d- a couple of days before the Pacific Cup you know because it'd been three years since they last played and and Fiji were in the, in the 50s but Samoa set a very uh, developmental side over you know for example no Regina Lilly their captain um, had remained in the in the UK and I think about half the squad there were making their debuts and likewise with with Fiji so I don't think any of the sides were under any not so many any illusion but coming up against PNG it was going to be going to be tough so I think it's also tough for PNG in those circumstances when you you expected to win but I think it's just to see the the spirit that the entire tournament was played in was was amazing it was and yes it's a it's a bilateral tournament in the sense that it doesn't count anything other than rankings points um, but for the fact that these the three of these teams hadn't played in over three years I think it was great and knowing how important rankings points are as we look in, into the future to see the the spirit between the sides I don't think I've ever seen anything like it before in, in any cricket and that was before during and, and after the matches and the the final presentation and party I guess you can only call it to to celebrate the culmination of the event was just this amazing feel of I don't know felt like being at some kind of celebration where everybody was in on it PNG side was singing to celebrate their receiving of the the major trophy but everyone was singing along with them and the whole the whole place was just a buzz and a lot of the players were out until the early hours of the morning together and just having a great time and uh, it was just great to be part of that and, and to have committed to the Pacific Cup as we did and again sort of talk about having your time over and would you do things differently it was really tough because up until the last week, teams still weren't able to commit and there were issues with flights coming in and there was a, um, a mess-up uh, arrangement with the accommodation, meaning that all the touring teams were in different hotels to the one that we're all supposed to be in. So all the last-minute machinations would have, well, could have made an event like that sort of fall over, especially when you're not playing for anything other than a new cup and, and, and pride. But you, know, you, you wouldn't have known that there was any stress for, for any of the sides and it was um, really good to see and to to have been part of the group that committed to starting it because like I said there's hopefully going to be more news coming into the future of where this grows to with the addition of further teams and I don't want to give away too many state secrets for when things are announced into the future Uh, and hopefully this will be the the start of a lot of players careers where they first got off the ground playing for for their countries in, in in Vanuatu and then from a Vanuatu point of view again having come into the tournament and being you know, the country's highest ranked sporting team before the women's team fell off the rankings. Um, and to know that how much of the team had, had not had any match experience for so long, you know, with Selena Solman, the only person to have played any competitive international cricket of any sorts in the last three years with her being able to fly off and play a fair break. Um, it was always going to be a challenge, but it was great to see them get wins early on and really just drop the one game against uh, Samoa, but sort of stick to their guns with at certain times where they could have fallen down, especially with a lot of young players coming into the side. So I think it's a, a great base to build from as they look towards, well, we're going to have the Pacific Islands Cricket Challenge in, in March that will be in Fiji, but also the, the Women's T20 World Cup Qualifier for EAP, which will be in sort of August, September next year. So there's there's lots of them to all build to. But uh, like I said, with everything being organised uh, not last minute, but only being able to commit to last minute. There'd be great things to add to it, to have live streaming, to have a lot more focused marketing leading up to it so more people know what's what's going on. But 
it was just a matter of getting getting on the field, playing cricket again, and 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 then building from that. But uh, no, it was really great to be part of it, and then even more so, I think, as hopefully in the future, as we're looking back and saying this is where it all began, um, for that sort of very very quick uh, seven day period where the teams are in in town and playing six T20Is over the course of four match days. It's always tough uh, in the Pacific from a logistical standpoint. It's a place where, to everyone from the outside looking in, it's it's hard to comprehend that islands might be close-ish geographically, but it takes a lot of effort just to get everyone in the same spot at the same time. And I think, you know, y- yourselves and, and everyone there need to be commended of just being able to put a tournament like this on. And if it was anything like what the sub-regional men's qualifier was like, you know, just going back a few weeks where you know, guys sort of get a chance to actually sort of mingle before and after cricket to actually share some sort of expertise and advice with each other. It really does, you really do see the benefits of that almost live in in front of your eyes in in some way. And when you get to be face-to-face with people and it's akin to, with you guys sometimes and we're just on a Zoom call and we're just here talking virtually, it's so much easier to get stuff done and, and to and to get around each other when you're actually in person. It actually is the same for, you know, between organizing tournaments like this, I'm sure you'd have done remotely into getting everyone there on hand in person, teams, players, again, mingling around, um, sharing the, the expertise and, you know, the, the region's only better for it. So while we, we see P&G kind of ahead of the pack and yes, with, you know, Samoa putting out sort of development teams missing uh, players who have been so big for them in in qualifiers and other competitions, you know, in times gone past, that it's so easy to see. And, and Tim, you would have seen it firsthand again, just how beneficial all of this can be um, when you finally get to just sit down, play some cricket, and then learn from all the experiences that you have. Yeah, and, and just looking at some of the performances on the field, you know, obviously. PNG, as we we're saying, that the team to beat, um, Isabel Tour dominated with the ball, topped the wicket tally with 11, uh, economy rate under four. Kaya Arua and Holland Dariga both picked up fivers uh, with economy rates in the threes. Tim, do you know if uh, Holland Dariga is related to Kimplum? Good question. I think we've got to assume yes, don't we? Associate cricket, and especially in PNG, it's it's a family affair. Yeah, it's true. A lot of very family connections. Yeah. Re- related until proven not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the, uh, the the EC court. Um, yeah, but then um, you know Nayoani Vare as well. Uh, Two twenty-five runs. 134 strike rate. Tanya Ruma, Sabona Jimmy, both both uh, just whacking it. The the PNG batters just had a lot more in the tank, uh, as you know, as we saw with the results. Uh, Vanuatu uh, dropping a game against Samoa, as we said, but um, you know, good effort from Rachel Andrew coming second on the wicket tally, um, and and Valenta Langiatu picked up two fifties, which was the most uh, in the tournament. Um, so m- maybe talk a bit about those two because you know everyone knows about Selena Solomon, but um, maybe not so much the sort of next lot of players coming through. Yeah, we'll start with Rachel. Well, actually, both players. Uh, or at least were in Valenta's sense, um, which I'll get back to why we're full-time employees, um, social impact ambassadors with our Appeal Against Violence program and also help out with women's island cricket. And I think that was them as also the best crop of players as well. So it's sort of like semi-professional cricketing contract come um, ambassadors and that's why they're training full-time with the with the men's squad, well, that, that combined squad as we've talked about in the past. But Valenta, funny enough, had been on RSC. She'd been fruit picking in Australia for the months prior, had come back and only played a couple of games for Melee 
and then into this tournament and then was able to perform like this. So I guess that gives some indication of the talent that, that she has. She's also a, a quick bowler as well, but unfortunately a bit of a kink in the in the action um, at the moment that needs to be worked through. And I guess that's one of the challenges of people going going overseas, whether it's playing, working, or in our case, it's sort of RSE and fruit picking um, to be able to get some access to them so we can work on the remediation of, of actions like that. But um, no, it was great to see her up, up top uh, being nice and attacking and great shots around the wicket. And Rachel Andrew, very similar player, actually openings the, the bowling. Now, I was, I'm trying to work out if it's ever happened in, in cricket before. Rachel bowled the first two overs of a T20 national in the same day and bowled two maidens. I'm not <laughs> sure if that's... That's one for Bez to dig into, isn't it? Yeah, ever, ever, ever happened before. So... Yeah, that was great to see. And, and Rachel's someone that is only going to benefit from playing more and more big, strong, bowls nice and high and fast as well. But it's just someone that, you know, that the fitter they get, the faster they, they're going to get. Um, and then Rachel also bats in the top three as well and whacks them. Um, it's kind of like your, uh, yeah, you just prototype um, Vanuatu uh, cricketer, really. Bats, bowls smacks it and uh, probably bowls quick um except if you're uh Nasimana Navaka who's uh who's an off spinner nice as she's known as the the fourth employee and she's just coming back from having her first first child so she's sort of working yeah. right back into it as well so it was good to see them all play but you know great great performances by Valenta and Rachel as you mentioned and um, we're in the process at the moment of just is just adding to kind of our existence here at the moment of pushing Rachel and Selena's flights back week on week as we wait for their visas to be approved so they can go and play a season of cricket in Adelaide for Adelaide Cricket Club. So that's two who will benefit from, well, geez, will be four months there and they won't come back until March. I'll basically come back on the day that we'll be flying off to, to Fiji. So that'll be a great season for them and great experience. And as I said, leading into a big year, for the women's side next year with the Pacific Island Cricket Challenge in March and then the T20 World Cup qualifiers in, in August, September. Is that the only cricket for the women that you, you've currently got penciled in? Because I, I know this is always a challenge, um, both in associate and women's cricket, is just getting you know <laughs> getting enough matches on the, on the calendar. Well, yeah, matches. So uh, we have rankings. So if <laughs> tournaments don't happen, you can actually be, uh, be ranked. Uh, at the moment, that's it. And I think by the sounds of it, it looks like the next Pacific Cup will be in very early 2024. So I think that's it at the moment. We've got the under-19 men's qualifier in June this year as well. So that's going to be a big a big tournament. will be a seven-team tournament, I believe, seven or eight. And likewise with the women's qualifier in August, September. By all accounts, the Cook Islands will have a team in that. So that'll make that a seven-team event too. So that's going to be um, a big one. But yeah, nothing nothing else planned at the moment. Likewise for the for the men, I think we're, we're all waiting to hear what the ICC is going to come out with their plans for what 50 over cricket will be after the 2023 World Cup but the the men are similar it's quite front-ended they'll be in Fiji as well in March and then they will fly off to PNG it's looking likely in April for the EAP T20 World Cup final so that's exciting Japan Philippines Papua New Guinea Vanuatu when it goes to 2024 World Cup and the one thing that I haven't mentioned that applies to the men's and women's sides will be the Australian Indigenous teams both men's and women's coming in May so I guess yeah, there is more cricket there for the, the Vanuatu women's team I think that might even be worth a, a trip for at least one of you it might be a tough one for one of you coming from Reykjavik but uh, <laughs> you know, that, that, I think that'll be really a signature event for us next year I think um, being able to engage the 
Aussie um, government here have supported us so well for so long. I think that'll be a big great thing as well with a lot of money in the kitty, hopefully for, for marketing of that sort of within Australia and beyond. I think that could be something something really special, n- not least for the for the players, but also hopefully for, for everyone here will get to see it. No, looking forward to that. Looking to the men's side, you travelled to Malaysia for, as you said at the start of the show, uh, leg three of the Challenge League. Uh, how is the preparation going for that and, and how do you kind of see all that playing out from a, a CEO standpoint? It's been challenging, Daniel. It's been a big six months and I think after sort of three years of, of nothing, if you could say that through 2020, 2021 and sort of most of 2022 um, and coming to the end of the year, I think uh, everyone's a bit tired and trying to get everyone up for that. It's been a struggle, not least a few other challenges at home here for a few individuals but you know like all these things it's just a matter of pulling together I think and that will really show who we are as a team as to how we we perform when, when we get there I think there'll be a few new faces in the squad that we won't have seen before which will be a great experience for them and then hopefully that kind of leads into the holiday break and then well really from our point of view it's really Mission World Cup isn't it to go to to Moresby and, and give it a shake it'll be the closest I think that any Vanuatu sporting team has been to get getting to a World Cup in any any sport or any format before you know our under 19s team has been to a global qualifier before back when they existed um, but I think from a um, definitely a senior team point of view it's as close as, as any team's got before so just trying to really focus on that once we get through this year and like I said with the Pacific Island Cricket Challenge in in March in Fiji and then the Indigenous teams too in May there's there's a lot of cricket around that that period too but for the men there's basically nothing until we find out what's happening with uh, post Challenge League or post-2023 Challenge League stuff. So pretty difficult at the moment when you're sort of looking at budgets and trying to put things together f- for next year um, to send to the ICC and, and, and others. But I just got to make do sometimes, I think. And knowing the players probably might look forward to a break there or if they want to be looking at overseas opportunities. You know, we saw Patrick Matatava go and play for Herning in, in Denmark through our winter. I think there's no reason why post-May... You know, five or six players can't look to play in Denmark, Ireland, etc. And then potentially even come back and play a Southern Hemisphere summer in Australia or New Zealand now that now that we know that the Australians have changed. Uh, do you like how I'm talking about the Australians as like as strangers? It's because they've changed their, their, their visa requirements again, requiring sporting teams to be sponsors. And we all know what some clubs are run like and not necessarily set up to be registered as sponsors and all these things. So it's just been difficult and things you'd like to have known, you know, six months or 12 months prior so you could try and get ahead of it. But of course... Six six months prior, there weren't any visas anywhere that you could apply for because the borders were shut. So it's all, you know, you feel bad for not being able to get players to, to clubs and whatnot because of these, these visa issues. But it's just one of those situations. Like, what, what can you do? You know, when the visas didn't exist or the regulations didn't, didn't exist because it was COVID, trying to catch up and give players the chance to, to go and play, it's just uh, just added to the stress, really, when a few players were, were hoping to get over overseas. But hopefully, post-Malaysia, we might see a couple of the men's players get down under as well. Yeah, just looking at that um, that Challenge League leg in Malaysia, obviously from a Canadian perspective, uh, looking good, sitting pretty at the top of the table there with, with 18 points, two wins ahead of, uh, of Singapore, who are next. But then at the other end, where Vanuatu is trying to avoid that relegation zone and, you know, having to play the um, the Challenge League playoff, assuming, you know, that ends up happening uh, with the ICC's, uh, you know, with the next cycle of, of, of pathway structures. But, yeah, you guys have three wins uh, you'll probably need, you know, if you want to overtake Qatar. And that's 
that's that's looking tough you know seeing seeing in canada there are a couple of those you know woulda coulda shoulda games especially uh specifically against qatar and that would have sort of put you a lot more in the running i don't know how how are you seeing the chances you know, looking ahead to the 3rd of december when it kicks off you know me nicholas i'm a glass half full guy and i all the time but uh <laughs> look we didn't have patrick in canada we'll have patrick in Malaysia but unfortunately there's a couple of big names and I, I don't want to say them yet because there's still things things happening it's a very sort of fluid situation that we're, we're potentially not going to have which will kind of take away a little bit of our strike power but like I said there's young players that are going to get their chance we saw the emergence shall we say of, of Junior Kautapo in Canada and hopefully he takes out another step forward again mm, yeah hugely impressive talent really 50 over cricket probably suits his game more than T20 cricket uh, and not that he didn't impress. I'll talk, I'm looking at you, Bez, because you know that was the first time you'd seen him play live. But not that he didn't impress in the T20s. But I just think he'll be so much better. I sound like I'm going to talk about him like a racehorse for the run out that he had in Canada. Um, that he can now come out here <laughs> and not that he ever looked nervous or anything other than he belonged out there. But there's going to be an even bigger chance for him to take a leading role in that, in that top order, which is always strange. You're talking about a 21 year old who's got six list A games, sorry, five list A games to his name and uh, and six uh, T20 internationals as, as being someone who's going to have to be the senior partner out there but that's just the, the situation we're in but I'd, I'd expect to see Jared Allen taking a more senior role up up the order um, and then sort of seeing how um, we can support him as well as as well as he batted in in Canada for us but yeah it's yeah we we need Qatar to basically lose every one of their games and for us to to win three as you said and that, that they've really got to be target for us and and they're a good team you know, they're, they're a completely different team to to us. They're all full-time professional. As in, they they are not cricketers. They're all amateurs. They're all professionals in other in other walks of life. And cats are enough to get annual leave to come and to come and play. Whereas we've got the uh, the opposite situation where everyone's full-time cricketer. It's only basically Jared Allen who needs to take leave from being a builder, and Jamal Fira who needs to take leave from being operations manager of the Vanuatu Cricket Association to to to, to go and play. <laughs> no, really impressive with some really polished cricketers. So they're not going to be any pushover. But we did see very close in that last game where Malaysia should have beaten them, really, shouldn't they, if Malaysia didn't capitulate in the last sort of quarter of the match. But look, I, our backs are against the wall. You saw the way that we, we won that that first game against Malaysia, and I can just hope we get some of that fighting spirit throughout, and you, you never know. You'd like to think we've got the wood on, on Malaysia at the moment, having beaten them in, in both tournaments, but we're back on their home turf. And like you mentioned, the game against Qatar, there were times that we just lost some key moments. And likewise, Denmark... Yeah, we take a couple of catches early and that their innings is, is constructed completely differently and potentially Vanuatu is chasing high hundreds or low two hundreds, not not where they were in the end. So you never never know. But uh yeah, so we'll get there a couple of days early. We'll have a practice match against Denmark and then the tournament gets going and uh we've got those the the day early games so we'll finish uh, a day earlier alongside singapore getting a little nitty-gritty there about the uh about the about the scheduling but uh yeah it's uh oh, i think it'll be, it'll be good you know the boys most of them have played in those conditions before and and for us you know hot humid is is what we do so i think there'll be be an advantage there definitely coming up against the likes of denmark that uh, won't be used to it as much uh, in saying that though it was very warm in canada but not not as humid and and, and malaysia we're definitely going to get both so i think we can use that to 
to our advantage, definitely. But in saying that, you've got Malaysia, Singapore, Qatar, all there that are, are from hot climates. So who knows how, how much advantage that's going to be. But you know, like you said about Canada, they were by far away the best team there in Canada. And, and you think it's really not so much theirs to lose. But I am intrigued that they're going for a three-week camp prior to it. Um, especially coming to play five list day matches in 30 plus degree heat in 80 percent humidity um, i just hope they're not cooked for their sake when they get well or i guess i hope they are but, um, <laughs> he put the cap he took the cap off and then he put it back on again <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was yes I, I think i did that rather you know rather well the, the agility shown was the first time i've shown agility in my life there for i went from being yes yeah, middle of the road to very Vanuatu side but um, no I'm, I'm looking forward to and especially since we've all played against each other within the last couple of months it's not like there's going to be huge changes in the teams it'll be be good to see how those those teams are progressing but yeah that's my only sort of question mark about about Canada coming into it and then also well with the fact that we're taking on Singapore in game one if it could play into our hands not saying that they're a weak team by by any stretch of the imagination but I think that suits us a lot better as opposed to what happened in Canada with the injuries that happened the day before against Canada and then to come up against Singapore so so we'll see and like, like we said before Patrick's back in national team colours and, and 50 over cricket he's got some pretty good numbers that's when he's shown his best for his country you know and that amazing century against Germany back in South Africa that, that basically got Vanuatu to to where we are now in the in the league structure and he's bowling in Malaysia to defend a, a, a double digit score in list day cricket so there's definitely people in our team that are capable of magic so just hoping it all comes together in the Kuala Lumpur heat there's two things you brought up in the last few minutes that I definitely want to talk about one is that the idea that PNG is really the only team I mean realistically in the way between Vanuatu and a T20 World Cup and we'll talk about PNG's travails in the 50 over game a little bit later because I think they are vulnerable especially in the T20 format looking though to talking about the way Challenge League is set out and knowing what you kind of need to do to in terms of the the future cycles there has been some news this week um, in regards to ICC events Uh, and I suppose the the part that relates most to to what we've been talking about is that at the end of this cycle we'll have we're still sort of in the unknown as to what happens uh the super league is no more we know that and we know that the top 10 teams for the 2027 cricket world cup the top 10 teams will be in via the rankings and then the next four teams come through a qualification system we're we're a little bit in the dark as to to what happens with with the pathway events you know our guess kind of is that the the Dutch come back and there's a sort of an eight-team sort of league underneath the Super League and the Challenge League runs as is. Four-team team tournament, and again, we can look at the positives, but is there a disappointment perhaps that we're likely not to see a, a build on what the Challenge League and, and League 2 is at the moment? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we, we've mentioned it a fair bit over the, well, however long it's been since the decision was announced to basically just delete the Super League. And, you know, we saw the benefits of that, as, as Cambo said in, in his interview, that, you know, the fact they were playing consistent, high-quality cricket against good opposition, it allowed them to be in the, you know, in the space where they could beat two full members at the World Cup, albeit in a different format in T20, you know? I, I don't think that the Netherlands would have beaten South Africa 
this year if they hadn't been playing all that ODI cricket from the Super League. You know, it's it's as simple as that. And, and so just from a development perspective, it's it's very disappointing that the Super League will not continue and won't be allowing these teams, you know, the opportunity to get better. But also thinking a bit more broadly from, I mean, what is what is the ICC? It's the International Cricket Council. The ICC's product is international cricket, right? And, and the Super League was a pretty good attempt at making international cricket a bit more interesting and and having more context. And I mean, I think you only need to look at the uh, bilateral one-day series that's going on in Australia at the moment where, I mean, basically, does anyone who's not a total cricket nerd already even know that it's going on? And that's against England, you know? And, And that's just because it's a random, you know, bilateral game squeezed in doesn't really mean anything obviously being behind the the fox paywall doesn't help either but you know what is the point of this series basically nothing whereas having the super league and having all of the matches that are played between full members and and the netherlands you know the matches all meant something and they all counted towards world cup qualification that's that's important and that gives those games a, a lot more interest automatically so yeah from from both a development perspective but also just a, a structure of you know we're back to the the question of meaningless you know bilateral one days which everyone was trying to find a solution for and you know they came up with a solution and then they just cancelled the whole thing before the tournament ended so yeah i mean i know we've we've been through this a lot but it it does bear repeating because it, it just really is quite a bad decision. And as you say, 14-team uh, World Cup is good, but it, it's not just about going to a World Cup once every four years. It's about that consistent high-level cricket in between the, the World Cup appearances. Reminds me of a famous scene. And the, the World Cup comes with 14 teams. That's good. But most of those teams will be deemed by rankings. That's bad. But you still have a Cricket World Cup League too. That's good. But none of the associates will ever play any of the teams ranked above them until they get to the World Cup. That's bad. <laughs> I don't think there needs to be anything more than that, if I'm honest. <laughs> That's where one of you is supposed to say, can I go now? <laughs> the tournament has potassium benzoate. <laughs> See, that would that would be a winner and also potential tattoo. Um, yeah. Uh, look, and I guess people are still listening to this podcast and they're listening to us say, that, say it again. But yeah, I just think they're having a 14-team World Cup and not giving those teams enough chance to, to have that experience in that time before is going to actually take away from the spectacle that is a 14-team World Cup of the likes of, let's say it's Namibia. Or actually, it might not be Namibia because even though they're hosting, they don't get a, an auto pass. That was a that was a nice one. That, that was a good one, wasn't it? We're going to give it to three countries, but we're only going to give it to the full members to give free tickets through that, that host. But if Namibia hasn't played anyone or any full members in, in 50-over cricket in the, the years prior, and then they come up against these sides... Yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I'm going to keep saying this until I'm blue in the face. And as long as there's 50 over cricket and the World Cup is the pinnacle from a, a value point of view, and I mean value to broadcasters, it should have a structure that underpins it that is actually fostering growth and a, and a rankings-based system and then having all the associates actually fall into contextual cricket is not how you do it. You know, We could have had side-by-side super leagues and yeah put india in one and pakistan in the other two lots of seven seven teams and they play six series over two years two and a half years and fall into to world cup qualifying and then we can have the the other leagues below it you know there were so many ways it could have been done i just don't get why this has been been binned when there could have been a compromise 
between bilateral cricket and 50 over cricket that's qualifying for the World Cup that still would have fit everything else in. I'm just so disappointed by this. And every time I hear a 14-team World Cup mentioned, I kind of think it, you know, it's one step forward and then it's just, oh, the fact, yeah, sorry, rankings, it's two step back. But I think everybody knows how we feel. But I feel it's been like three weeks since I've been on. So I, I, I needed to have a little bit of a, a rant, especially after the last couple of weeks as well. I feel like, I feel like you're the only guys I can talk to about this. EC podcast slash therapy sessions, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of oh, us. Oh, listening, listening to the dulcet tones of Tim Cutler helps me go to sleep at night. <laughs> well, as long as you're not currently driving on the autobahn um, and it's sending you to sleep, and that's for the audience of one, Daniel Weston, <laughs> sending our love out to, out to that guy. He's, he's the man with you know, all the arms, pushing all the buttons, trying to get everything keep, keep going. But uh, I don't know, that, that started like as a question about... PNG in the in the region and about T20 cricket, Daniel, and it got to back to 50 over stuff. Well, I was going to bring that up later because we were going to talk about their travails in in League Two, and we've just seen yet another collapse, and it's probably a giveaway as to what day we're recording the show on. But you know, there's uh, well, not really. Which <laughs> it could happen. It could happen almost every time. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's become one of the most sort of predictable storylines of the game script. Uh, that we've come to see in associate cricket. I, I found it funny that uh, on Chad Soper's birthday where uh, he walked out to bat and I think the score was 65 for 7 or something and uh, the poor bloke had to try and salvage something out of nothing. And if it wasn't for him and uh, Asad Vala, uh, I don't think they would have made three figures. I, I don't know what PNG do when Asad Vala eventually gives it away from an international standpoint. Uh, that's going to be a hole that needs to be filled up uh, by more than one man. He makes runs on a consistent basis. He probably is still not quite scoring the runs. He probably doesn't quite have the output that even he would like at the moment, but he's still so far and above the rest of that batting lineup at the moment that it's just become so difficult for them to win a game. They just never will ever put up enough runs on the board. It doesn't matter how good they are with the ball. They're just never going to have a big enough total to defend. The other two teams here are are certainly gunning for uh, one of those automatic spots into the Cricket World Cup qualifier in Zimbabwe. uh, USA are marginally ahead, although Namibia do have plenty of games in hand. You would think that they would do the business. It helped that they had that perfect week uh, in PNG actually with the same three teams playing in that tri-series as well so I don't know what else we can add I know that PNG's format is definitely the T20 format and they will probably look to next year and and consider themselves strong favorites on that front and and that's something to look forward to but I think it was something that we we brought up not so long ago talking to, to Tim Wigmore actually was that yeah okay they get a world cup but Outside of that, you know, what are they really getting out of the system that they have in place at the moment? They're not going to make any headway from a one-day international side of things. And ultimately, you need to be strong across both formats if you're ever going to get anywhere and, and move up the, the associate chain. So to move it back, I suppose, keeping it within the Pacific family, PNG have ultimately been very disappointing in, in League 2, Nick. And there needs to be a lot of questions. We know there's been a couple of coaching shifts. Mark Coles is still there. We don't know if he's on a temporary basis or if he's been appointed full-time. But yeah, there's, there's something there's something that needs to be looked into. And I don't know what the solution is. And I'm sure, you know, if anyone had it, they would have come up with it by now. Just nothing seems to be working there. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, the difficulty is where do you find more players? And 
I guess, the, frankly, the the playing base in PNG either. We know a lot of people are playing cricket, but certainly that's a lot more on the recreational side in terms of bringing that talent through the high performance side of things. Clearly, there's somewhere along the pathway it's just breaking down because, yeah, they have a lot of people picking up a bat and ball, but they're just picking the same sort of 11, 12, 13, 14 guys every single time and they're, you know, they're getting the same results. You know, the, the batting lineup struggles, Asad Vala's the only one who resists, someone down the order hits a you know a stubborn 20 odd they get to like a bit over 100 maybe 190 at the best and then they bowl with some discipline and but they can't defend a small enough total you know it, it's the same thing again and again and how many times do we need to see it before they change i don't know i mean once asad vala goes yeah as you say i mean he's he's getting in towards the second half of his 30s now he won't be around forever how do they replace someone who's been pretty much their only consistent performer with the bat you know there are guys who can bat you know Charles Amini we've seen him bat well um I mean Chad Soper does he you know should he be the um leading light with the bat probably not but you know even even someone like Kiblin Dariga has produced in the past um Tony Ura is also uh getting on uh, in years as well so that's another another question yeah what why why is the talent not coming through from their large numbers of, of youth and, and um, you know, recreational participation. I think that's the biggest question, not so much how do you shuffle the same cards to try and get a different result. It's, it's you know, where, where, is the, where is the pathway breaking down? Any, any light f- f- you can shed here, Tim? I know in the region it's, it, it's probably difficult to identify talent, but also you're in, I suppose, small pockets of, of densely concentrated cricketing families and communities and ultimately you know in times gone by and this might change in png because we know that there's a big sort of participation number of of young players and young cricketers taking up the game um and we've heard great anecdotes surrounding all of that but at this point of time they're pulling from a very small pool or a very dense pool in one location of of cricketers and and ultimately this is the result yeah i think we've talked about this in the past and being in a place here where it'd be very difficult for us not to be picking kind of a similar 13, 14 players in very similar positions. It comes down to your, your underage programs. We saw what happened in, in Japan two years ago. and You wonder whether there's been a hangover from that and whether they, anyone's been lost to the game or whether they're still part of it. But for me, not for here, one of our biggest challenges, what is club cricket and what are clubs? And having the, the kind of spirit of volunteerism of people being wanting to be on committees and run clubs and, and clubs have an identity rather than just being groups of people that turn up in the in the same shirt. But then again, you look at PNG and they've got that that tier one, I think it's your Zuzu series that they, they have in the sort of almost franchise sides. And I'm not saying that that's replacing club cricket, but there is consistent domestic cricket happening because if, if what was happening to PNG was happening to us, I'd say we need more high-level consistent club cricket to be building those cricketers and we need our, our teams to get more experience overseas. That part of it, you know, the support that Cricket PNG are going to be getting through Pacific Oz Sports that was announced recently alongside the news that the Australian Indigenous teams were coming to Vanuatu is going to be huge for them for the men's and women's teams in terms of experience for them overseas, but also coaches coming into the country, upskilling coaches and players there. So I think they're on the right path. You just hope that they haven't missed the boat in the sense that these things haven't been happening to the to the level that they will be in the next year and a bit, um, perhaps earlier, and that they you know that you haven't lost a generation. But as you said, you know the numbers of of kids that are picking up cricket bats in PNG is huge. 
but also turning that into a number of cricketers that then play cricket and go on to, to having a lifelong relationship with the game, I think is a, probably a more important number as it is for us. For us to get to almost 10% of the population with our, our school programs is amazing, but what really counts is how many of those are playing cricket one, two, three, ten years later. Yeah, we'll probably wrap that League 2 series in Namibia once it concludes. There's a lot of cricket going on at the moment that we will talk about more, I think, in depth next week, looking at, say, Thailand taking on the Netherlands in a one-day series there, a first one-day series for one-day international for Thailand and, and then winning the first game there. But we will talk about that more in depth as we see a few more results, uh, as well as the Africa sub-regional qualifier A for the Men's T20 World Cup for 2024. That's in this sort of awkward halfway phase at the moment for us, and it's a little bit hard to sort of work out how that's going to pan out, especially with Kenya uh, copping a couple of negative results in in terms of rain hampering their campaign. So to stick with the Pacific and, and the East Asia Pacific region, and again looking to the T20 World Cup, qualifier next year in Port Moresby. I know that's not official, but I think we all know that that's where it's going. Japan qualifying from their sub-regional, overcoming the likes of Korea, uh, Republic and Indonesia. They did it in a, a canter, I think, in the end. it's uh, Although they were sort of undone there at, at one point, though, they did sort of stream away at the end. Kendall Fleming was was good. It was a, a well-run tournament in Sano as well. It'll be interesting to see what happens, you know, when they move up to the, the next level again. We know that a lot of these players played in the Under-19 World Cup in 2020 and they've made the transition into the senior team. There's a good mix of, of youth and experience, but it will be interesting to see, Nick, what happens when they do go to that, that next level after being so comfortable in that qualifier. Yeah, Kendall Katawaki Fleming, it was obviously he was a sort of a, a class above here, just <laughs> absolutely tonked it. Had a, a total strike rate of 218 for the tournament. Lockie Yamamoto Lake actually ha- had a strike rate around 200 as well. So those guys will be, uh, be interesting to see how they go against high-ranked opposition. Uh, Fleming especially got fed... Just a lot of uh, very hittable deliveries, not too fast, not really doing much. He's just able to hit through the line, and he, you know, he has that technique to just absolutely send bad deliveries over the rope repeatedly, which you know we saw in in, in his century where just hit through the line over kind of you know, mid wicket and and absolutely flayed it over the cover region. Yeah, as I said, Yamamoto, similar thing at the top of the order. Uh, going really hard, so that combination up top is going to be uh, going to be key for them in, in terms of putting up competitive scores. I think also, yeah, how how will they go against better bowling, but then also how will their bowlers go um, against batters who are able to take advantage? Uh, because you know, looking at the the quality of the opposition uh, in, in terms of batting, you know, survey from from Indonesia was okay. A couple of the Korean guys weren't, you know were able to clear the rope, especially, you know, I'm thinking of uh, Jun Hyunwoo, who, who was able to um, hit a number of sixes, but, you know, he, he's, I think, one of their converted baseballers, so he, he, he did get bogged down when he wasn't able to free his arms. So, yeah, for the for the Japanese bowling coming into the highest standard against, you know, PNG and, and, and Vanuatu, who's going to be providing those wickets for them? Um, you know, Ravichandran bowled well, bowled very economically, but they didn't they didn't really have anyone who looked devastating, I guess. Um, you know, Sakurano was was decent. Uh, they have Kabuto. They 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 have a couple of guys sort of uh, in in the wings who who didn't 
play this time, which was interesting. But yeah, again, I, I kind of feel that Japan will probably be uh, end up being outclassed. The performance of Indonesia as well, I think, was uh, was 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 encouraging. They beat Japan on the last day, uh, and then beat uh, South Korea pretty convincingly. But they they couldn't quite make up that run rate difference that they needed to overtake Japan and, and qualify. Um, but yeah, some exciting talent coming through for them. Yeah, survey with the bat, and also um, Katut Atawan uh, bowled very well as well. Um, bowled, had a, a pretty good economy rate, uh, picked up a number of wickets. And, yeah, so I think the fact that um, Indonesia has a lot of young talent coming through also is, is encouraging. You know, a lot of these guys are sort of under 25 and, you know, they've got the core of a, a pretty decent team at regional level to be building forward. And, you know, who knows if, if they can you know, beat Japan by a little bit more next time and, and you know, keep obviously keep beating South Korea and, and whoever else, maybe the Philippines will drop back down. Yeah, Indonesia are half a chance of, of getting it into that regional final and, um, yeah, that'd be a huge story for them and, and their cricket development. Um, we know they're they're very ambitious in terms of where they want to go and they do have a, a good participation program and it seems like it's starting to bear fruit. So so Indonesia, one to watch. And also on the women's side, um, same thing. You know, they, they played pretty well in, in recent qualifiers. So um, Indonesia is uh, one of the one of the growing powers in the EAP region. And again, this is another sort of topic that we've we've touched on before, but the fact that the EAP region is, is so lacking in, in strong teams, you know, there's PNG, I guess Vanuatu, who are kind of an, on a similar level. But then after that, it's really, yeah, not a whole lot. So yeah, having stronger teams coming through is going to improve the quality of cricket in that region and in a region that has, has struggled to, to provide good competition for PNG in the past. Great to talk cricket, uh, fellas. We've probably run out of time just looking at the at the recording time now. There's still a bunch of, of cricket that we haven't really dipped our toes into yet. And as mentioned, you know, the Africa sub-regionals and the Netherlands-Thailand women's uh, series we will look at in more depth next week. Uh, among, you know, a, a number of events, South American Championships is another one we haven't spoken about. Uh, Rwanda, Tanzania, Desert T20 in Oman as well. There's plenty of cricket on. So make sure, you know, if you are listening to, to whack up uh, EmergeCricket.com to, to keep up with everything and uh, we'll try and talk about and discuss everything in depth once we, we kind of get the, the space and uh, the time that everything sort of deserves because there has been a lot going on in the emerging game. It's a, a good time in that respect for the emerging game. So thank you to everyone who uh, tunes in as always every week. And thanks, Nick and Tim, for joining me. Good to see us back ready to launch into some meaty emerging cricket topics i'll hopefully speak to both of you next week as well and uh for everyone out there once again thanks for jumping on to the ec pod and uh we'll be back again next week but for now it's goodbye